Thank you for listening to this teaching from Kingdom Discipleship. Jesus declared in John chapter 16 that the Holy Spirit will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Have you experienced the Spirit of God convicting you over your sin and your need of Jesus? Have you experienced the conviction of the Holy Spirit that Jesus is perfectly righteous and that you need his righteousness? Do you experience conviction that there will be a judgment for your sin when you leave this life? Let's open our Bible now to John chapter 16 and look at this incredible work in our lives of God the Holy Spirit. Well, good morning and happy Easter. It is a uh, Sunday morning here in Texas. It's it's Easter morning, and um, I mean it's 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 a good day. Jesus is risen. I, I left a couple of messages this morning and uh, phone messages, just calling some folks in the ministry, and I you know. You know, the three, I, I, I sent on the messages that the three most important words in your Bible are he is risen, right? Matthew 28, 6, it's also in verse 7. Jesus Christ is risen. It's the resurrection of the dead that all Christianity hinges on which is to say it's the resurrection of the dead that all of God hinges on. If there is no resurrection from the dead, if Jesus did not rise from the dead, then there is no meaning in God whatsoever in any manner or in any way. Our entire lives are a waste of time. We're a cosmic accident and uh, there's no meaning in anything ultimately. But Jesus Christ is indeed risen from the dead, right? Everyone else is still in the grave, right? Buddha is still in the grave. Muhammad is still in the grave. Confucius is still in the grave, right? Jesus Christ is risen. We have a risen Savior. We worship a risen Savior. And Lord Jesus, we just thank you for your mercy, your favor, and your goodness on our lives. Lord, we celebrate you today our risen Savior, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Father, we thank you for your mercy on our lives. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for sending Jesus. Lord Jesus, we thank you for coming into the world of your own will and decision. Lord, we thank you for living a perfect, sinless life for us. We thank you for dying, Lord, such a horrible, torturous death for us. And Lord, we thank you and worship you. We thank you that you are alive and risen today and we worship you, Jesus. Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the Holy Scriptures. We thank you for our Bible. Holy Spirit, we ask you to give us eyes that see now and ears that hear. Open the word of God to our hearts. We worship you and praise you and thank you. In Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Thank you, Lord Jesus. We are, uh, today we're going to start in John 16. Um, we're getting this recording done early. Um, Stephen, who does, who works uh, very hard and uh, not only leading our, our whole IT department, but, but just doing all the things that go into these teachings. He's with me with every one. Uh, you know, he, then he goes home and he's got to, he's got to do another, you know, 45 minutes hour worth of work and editing him. So I just, uh, we just appreciate him and his work, but he has to fly off tomorrow, um, just for the, the death of his brother that happened, uh, a week ago today at this time, he, he came to my home and, um, and just shared, uh, just shared the, 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 the difficult news. And so, um, we, we continue father to ask your mercy over, Stephen and, and his family, his mom and dad, and, and his uh, and his two brothers, Lord. We just pray your blessing and healing and mercy in this whole family, Lord. Have mercy, Lord, on Michael and Janice and Stephen and Kevin and Ben, Lord. We just, uh, we ask for your mercy, Lord. We ask you to reveal yourself to them 
in this time, Lord, to all that knew Stephen's brother David, Lord. We we pray that 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 you would use this, Lord, and reveal yourself to this family in this in this difficult time, Father. We just thank you for your mercy. So thank you, Lord. So yes, yeah, so we're doing this early. Normally we do it later. It's Easter morning. You know, we, we have plans today. So um, but man, it's just such it's a privilege that we get to do these things. So John 16, we begin. There are uh, what 33 verses in John 16, I believe. Yep. And uh, today, um, Lord willing, we're going to get through verse 11. So John 16, verse 1, Jesus speaking. All this I have told you so that you will not go astray. They will put you out of the synagogue. In fact, a time is coming when anyone who kills you will think he is offering a service to God. They will do such things because they have not known the Father or me. I have told you this so that when the time comes, you will remember that I warned you. I did not tell you this at first because I was with you. Now I am going to him who sent me, yet none of you asks me, where are you going? Because I have said these things, you are filled with grief. But I tell you the truth, it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the counselor will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, he will convict the world of guilt in regard to sin and righteousness and judgment. In regard to sin, because men do not believe in me. In regard to righteousness, because I am going to the Father where you can see me no longer. And in regard to judgment, because the prince of this world now stands condemned. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Just, uh, again, incredible words from Jesus. I mean, they're all, they're all the word of God. They're all incredible. But I, I've said this over and over. It's, it's remarkable that he's probably, again, within 10, 12 hours here of, uh, of his crucifixion, somewhere around that time. And, um, you know, shortly in the next, we don't even know, five, six hours from when he's saying this, he's going to, he's just going to, you know, give himself up to the Roman authorities. He's going to be whipped and tortured and beaten to within an inch of his life. And yet we have these words in our Bible in John 3, 16, because Jesus is in, in a place where he's absolutely at his worst. He's going through the most difficult situation the most difficult time that, that that we could even imagine and yet his heart is still to teach his disciples and because he's doing that we have these words now again I, if you try to imagine yourself Corinne right in this situation where you knew that in you know five six hours you were going to give yourself up you were going to be whipped and beaten and tortured Within an inch of your life, you were going to have a crown of thorns thrust into your head. You were going to uh, have spikes driven through your hands and feet as you were humiliated naked on a cross. We, we really wouldn't want to talk to anybody, would we, Uncle Dennis? We really wouldn't want to be around all these people. And yet knowing all that, Jesus still up until the last moment he's taken, is still communicating this incredible truth. And because of that heart, to continually give his best, even when he's at his worst, so to speak, even when he's going through the most difficult time, he's still giving his best and thinking about us, thinking about the disciples and what they need to know. And um, yeah, that heart is just, uh, and, and it's something we want to try to emulate right? Um, we want to try to be more like this. When things are difficult for us, when we're going through difficult times, when we're struggling physically and emotionally, mentally, financially, right? When we're struggling in relationships, oftentimes we don't, you know, we don't want to help others. We don't want to encourage others and build up others. But Jesus gives us uh, such an example of that here. And uh, we just worship you and thank you, Jesus. All right, John 16, verse 1. All this I have told you 
so that you will not go astray. Really from, you know, chapter 13, um, you know, where Jesus had finished washing his disciples' feet, he begins to speak to them and to teach them all of these principles. And so for the rest of 13, 14, and 15, he's given them substantial exhortation, right? He's told them that as he has set an example in humbling himself and doing this, this, this incredible meaning, you know, menial task, this task that no one would want to do, wash someone's feet. He washes his disciples' feet and he, and he tells them, I've set you an example so that you too should wash one another's feet. He tells them that so that they won't go astray. Um, he tells them, as you go through 14, he's talking about, um, you know, bearing fruit for his kingdom. He's, he's talking about in 15. He's talking about obeying him and showing your love to him as you obey him. Um, he's talking about loving one another. And in all of this, he says in verse 1 of 16, all this I have told you so that you will not go astray. Um, he says this because as Christians, as believers, he's talking to his disciples now. Obviously, he says it because we have a, a tendency, a strong tendency to go astray. We often just, you know, you know, it's it's almost, uh, you know, again, we're, 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 we're compared to sheep in the scriptures, right? In John 10, Jesus said, my, my sheep know my voice, right? And they follow me. Um, but, you know, a sheep is one of the dumbest animals anywhere in the world. And, you know, that's not an accident that the Bible calls us as Christians, as children of God, it refers to us as sheep because like sheep, we can just wander off, you know, with just, just unthinking people. Um, and so he exhorts us here and he tells his disciples that I'm telling you all of this so that you do not go astray. So he's telling us that we need to remember his words. We need to study his words. We need to spend time in the scriptures, spend time in our Bible we need to apply what we read. We need to obey what we what we read and study. And we need to repent where we fall short, right? So following all of these things that he's telling us will keep us from going astray. It'll keep us from a, a worldly lifestyle. Um, all this, verse 1, I have told you so that you will not go astray. Verse 2, they will put you out of the synagogue. In fact, the time is coming when anyone who kills you will think he is offering a service to God. So he's saying that difficult times are coming. First of all, they'll put you out of the synagogue. Now, this is a remarkable thing. And I was uh, I was so blessed. My, my brother Jesse and I had, had just had Easter church this morning. Um, I had called him and I, I had asked him if he would go through these verses with me and we studied them. We, we just had fellowship around these verses for an hour this morning. Um, and he gave an hour of his Easter morning and both of us just came away so, so filled, just so excited, right? The, 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 the community and the unity around these verses, Jesse's an elder at Kingdom Discipleship, uh, Tom is an elder and myself, we have three elders in the ministry. Um, but just the time was, um, uh, you know, we were talking about how, how it was almost like how church is supposed to be, right? When, when, when two of us come together in fellowship in Jesus Christ, we have church, right? It's a wonderful thing. Now, obviously, it's good to go out, you know, and go to church, right? And, you know, go to a church building and listen to a good Bible-based message, um, worship and praise the Lord. All, all of that's wonderful. But just when you come together in fellowship, with just any other believer, you are in fact having church. You remember when, when Jesus said, if two or more come together in my name, there I am with them. And what that means is when two or more believers come together with, a, with the same heart to know Jesus, a desire to, to know him, to love him, to obey him, a desire to know his love, he's there with us, right? In spirit, He's always with us, 
Um, he never leaves us or forsakes us, right? Um, as he tells us in, you know, uh, what is it? Uh, Hebrews 12, he'll never leave us. He'll never forsake us. Um, but experiencing his presence is, is, a, is a blessing that, uh, it's a mercy that, 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 that's really, it's hard to understand, right? But it's, it's such a gift, Auntie Jackie, right? It's, a, it's such an incredible gift. Mm. But but look what it look what it says here. And again, Jesse and I were discussing this. Verse two, you know, I've told you this so you will not go astray. Verse two, they will put you out of the synagogue. Um, the synagogue is supposed to be the place where the, the the leaders, the Jewish leaders, and for us, right, as Christians, this would rec- you know, this would be the church, right? The, the place where you're supposed to be able to go and and have leaders, you're supposed to be able to go to the synagogue and have the leaders there that 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 are appointed to to serve and lead and teach the word of God and love according to the word of God and be merciful um, and to be shepherds. And yet Jesus is telling them that they'll put you out of the synagogue because they're because they're too zealous about Jesus. As Jesse and I were talking this morning, we we, we really do have this, this kind of spirit in the church today. You know, I've said before, the church has become very territorial, meaning we are, we are one body worldwide. We're the body of Christ. And obviously there's, there's, you know, the, the millions of little buildings, right? You know, church buildings, but we're supposed to operate in unity, right? Now, we can't be united around false teaching. We, we have to be united in coming together and being a church based on the clear, undeniable teaching of the word of God. And since you know we're, we're not able to do that, we have, what, 1,100 denominations in Christianity? And, and oftentimes, the most serious Christians the most focused Christians, the ones that really are working to advance the kingdom of God, the son of God, and the gospel of God are not welcome, right? It's, it's, it's not comfortable, right? If, you know, if you're in a church today and you're zealous for Jesus Christ, then, then your pastors and elders ought to be right there by your side, walking with you, encouraging you, building you up, right? They ought to be excited about it. And it's indeed, it's, it's, it's their duty as, as your ministers, as your leaders, to make sure you're, you're, you're fulfilling the call of God on your life. Um, but, but we live in a church culture where, where oftentimes, regrettably, those Christians that are often the most zealous and the most serious and the most focused, you know, they're often not not liked. They're not welcome. Um, if, if a Christian is more zealous and more focused than his leaders, first of all, that's a problem, right? Now, at the same time, you know, if, if you have church leadership that that is, you know, is active in your life, um, you know, is in relationship with you and building you up in the word of God and is spending time with you and giving them your time, not on Sunday morning. That's not time, right? Um you know, going to church on Sunday morning, listening to a good Bible-based message, that's a good thing, and we ought to do it. Um, but no, discipleship doesn't happen in a pulpit, right? So your leaders ought to be giving you their time. If you're, you know, if you're serious and you're a part of the church, um, they ought to be spending time with you. And if they're doing that and they're exhorting you in the word of God, then you then you ought to, to be submissive, right? Um, but if you're zealous for Christ, and really the, the leadership has no, no heart to use you, then you need to go somewhere else, right? Because you and I have a call of God on our lives to do the work that Jesus has given us do, to do and has gifted us to do. And, and again, this, this, they will put you out of the synagogue. It's, it's, it's incomprehensible that, that these disciples of Jesus who are zealous for Jesus would be put out by religious people. And like I said, that that kind of religious spirit 
can often be in the church today because, again, we're a territorial church. We're jealous. Um, as church leaders, we often, we always think we got it figured out. Certainly, I'm guilty of this, right? Of course, we know what's best. If we're the pastors or we're the elders of the church or the, or the ministry, of course, we must know what's best. And it's it's a uh, it's something that ought to be embarrassing to us, right? Because often we don't, and uh, sometimes it's a good old boy system, right, where we put people around us that tell us what we want to hear, and um, and and as I've said, we're, we're all guilty of this as Christian leaders, and it's just a it's a point of meaningful repentance for us, Lord Jesus. I I ask you to forgive us when we act in this way, when we act as as Christian leaders. In, in a territorial or know-it-all way. Um, and we actually believe that because we have some position or some title um, of pastor or teacher or minister or elder or whatever it is, Lord. I, uh, I ask you to help us, Holy Spirit, uh, to humble ourselves, to serve your people, and, and to care more about the kingdom of God and the word of God and the gospel of God and the son of God than we do about all our own little churches and ministries and agendas. Lord, help us, forgive us and cleanse us of this unrighteousness, Father, we pray. Thank you, Lord Jesus. They will put you out of the synagogue. In fact, the time is coming when anyone who kills you will think he is offering a service to God. There have been Christians all over the centuries, throughout the centuries, that have been martyred for Jesus. As I was preparing for this, the scholars made a point that, that oftentimes the Christians who were killed were killed by, by other Christians, by other, by other sects of Christianity. And a time is coming when anyone who kills you will think he is offering a service to God. Um, you know, many have given their lives. In, in service to Christ. In the West here, we live in a, you know, uh, we live in a, an extremely blessed and protected society where we can, we can talk about Jesus and, you know, we don't have to fear. But, uh, you know, this is an amazing, amazing comment from Jesus, right? A time is coming when anyone who kills you will think he is offering a service to God. That's how deceived people can become, that we can become. Verse 3, they will do such things because they have not known the Father or me. Um, by putting people out of the synagogue because they're zealous for Jesus, because they're preaching Jesus, that's why they were being put out of the synagogue, for church leaders to be uncomfortable with, with Christians that, that, that are more zealous than they are, right? And, and again, north, most of the time, the church leaders aren't just going to tell you to leave, right? Their job is to, is to exhort you and build you up. And as I said, if that's not happening in your church, if you don't have personal relationship with your leaders, okay, then you need to go somewhere where you do. And now, now again, what I'm talking about is if, if, you're a, if you're a Christian who's really wanting to live as a disciple of Jesus Christ, then your church leadership ought to be giving you their time. Now, if you're still just a Christian who just wants to come to church on Sunday and, and hasn't really gotten into the discipleship and you really don't want that, well, then that's a different story, right? We all need to become you know, devout disciples of Jesus Christ and not just Sunday morning churchgoers. But Jesus says the reason that they will do such things because they have not known the Father or me. This behavior... This kind of territorialism, this kind of jealousy, obviously all the way up to killing Christians, it, it just reflects that you really don't know Jesus. You, there, there's an aspect of Jesus that you really don't know or understand. And when you don't know Jesus, you don't know the Father, right? They will do such things because they have not known the Father or me. And so uh, obviously someone who, who kills someone because they're zealous for Christ, has no idea who Jesus is or the Father. But even us as Christians, again, we're not reflecting the love of the Father and that of Jesus, you know, when, when, when we behave in these ways, when we're, you know, when we're territorial, when we're jealous, when we're, when we're more concerned about our ministry and our church 
than we are about the kingdom of God and the word of God and the son of God and the gospel of God at large, right? Help us, Lord Jesus. Verse four, I have told you this so that when the time comes, you will remember that I warned you. I did not tell you this at first because I was with you. So he waited until really the the, the last hours of his life. Um, maybe he's got, you know, another 12 hours before he'll he'll be killed here. Um, and but he gives them this warning, he says, because I'm 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 leaving now, right? Um, I have told you this so that when the time comes, you will remember that I warned you. Again, this is why we study the Bible. This is why we do these things, to remember the words of Jesus. So we're prepared for whatever he either causes or allows to come into our life, that we're prepared to love him, to glorify him, and to do what he's what He's given us to do. He said, I didn't tell you this at first because I was with you, meaning I've been with you these three and a half years. I've walked with you. And so Jesus was with them. Jesus protected them. Um, you know, Jesus was, you know, was guarding them, but now he's telling them and warning them that these things are going to happen because he's going away and he's, you know, they're going to have the Holy Spirit, but they're not going to have Jesus with him, with them, you know, physically, personally. Verse five, now I am going to him who sent me, yet none of you asks me, where are you going? Verse six, because I have said these things, you are filled with grief. We spent more on this verse. Jesse and I spent more time on this verse this morning than any. And this is just a, uh, it's it's really an incredible verse. What is he, what is he saying here, Leah? Right? Esther, what is he saying here when he says in verse five, John 16, now I am going to him who sent me, yet none of you asked me, where are you going? Because I have said these things, you are filled with grief. In chapter 13, Peter actually asks him, you know, Lord, where you're going, I'm going to follow you. And then, and then Thomas, you know, says to him, you remember when Thomas says to him, Lord, you know, in uh, John 14, we don't know where you're going, so how can we follow you? So they actually have asked him where he's going. But what Jesus is saying here is so profound and it caused such conviction in me, May. Now I am going to him who sent me. Yet none of you asks me, where are you going? Because I have said these things, you're filled with grief. The, the disciples, and it's almost understandable, right? If not understandable, they're completely grieved because Jesus is, is leaving them. Jesus is going to be taken from them. And they're obviously grieved because they're not going to have him anymore. They've had him now for three and a half years. It's been this incredible time, but now he's going to be taken away. And so obviously they're going to miss him. But what they're particularly going to miss is everything that he's been for them, right? And again, we get that. When when someone when we lose a loved one in death, oftentimes we miss all that they were to us. But Jesus is actually saying here that now I'm going to him who sent me. I'm going to the Father. Yet none of you ask me, where are you going? Meaning they, they, they do not have one inkling of concern about him and about him going to the Father and about all that that means for him, right? Meaning he's, he's saying that, you know, why is it you, you, you have absolutely no thought or concern for me, Jesus is saying, and, and about the fact that I'm going away, that I'm going back to my father in all that that means for me. How come no one is asking about that? When they had asked, where are you going? They just wanted to know so that they could follow and be with him again, because they, they, they feel comfortable with Jesus, all that Jesus does for them. So it's a profound verse. And he says in verse six, because I've said these things, you're filled with grief. They're grieved because that they're not going to be able to have all the needs met that Jesus met when he was with them physically, but they have no concern whatsoever about, uh, about where Jesus is going. No one's asking him about what it's going to be like for him. 
No one's asking him. They're only concerned about the consequences to themselves that they're going to lose Jesus. But no one's asking, well, hey, what, what's it going to be like for you, Lord? I mean, you're going to the Father. I mean, what's that like? I mean, that's I mean, that's wonderful. That's exciting. You get to go back and be with the Father. There is absolutely no concern for him and where he's going and what he'll be doing. They can only think about themselves and their own grief and what they're missing. The analogy Jesse used this morning, which was really good, is he has a daughter, Victoria, who will be five in August. Um and, and Jesse owns a business. He, you know, he's a, uh, you know, it's called Kingdom Windows, um, and he does windows and he does landscaping. Um, you know, he's he's a very handy man. He can do all these things. Um, but, you know, he made the point that you know, if he's doing invoices on his laptop, you know, his his five year old daughter, almost five year old daughter, never once ever has any concern at all. For, for everything, anything that he's doing or his life, right? As children, you know, we're, and even as adults, but a young child completely believes their parents are fine, right? They don't have one thought, you know, one concern, right, Stephen? They don't, you know, they, they, they don't concern themselves with your life, not one bit, right? Um, but as we grow up, as we get older, and as we grow in Christ, we... We ought to begin to, to think about him and what things are life for him and just pleasing him and loving him for the sake of him and not just, you know, all that, you know, all that he is for us and our comfort and that Jesus is there just to, to help me. Are you, are you seeing it, right? I mean, a, a, a child, right? Stephen's child, Kaysen, you know, from the moment he wakes up, to the moment he he goes to bed, he'll be I think six in June, um, and maybe seven. I'm not sure, but um, you know he will. Uh, you know all all Kaysen cares about is his fun. He's a seven year old boy, right? Six year old boy. This is all he's concerned about, right? Is is just you know enjoying his time and living, right? And that's when you're a child, when you're a four or five or six year old child, it's understandable that you care nothing at all. You give no thought at all to your dad or your mom and what their day's like and what their work is like and what they got going on. Children that they don't think about that ever. They're not, it's, it's like, it's almost like they're incapable of it. They're not incapable, but they're not. They don't do it, right? Now I'm going to him who sent me, yet none of you ask, where are you going? How come? How come no one asks as we grow up to be adults and grow up to be Christians? Jesus is speaking to his disciples now. But as we were talking this morning, you know, we always have this idea that Jesus is fine. Jesus is okay. And of course he is fine. Um, you know, he's, we don't, we don't, we don't worry about Jesus, right? But yet he actually says these words. None of you really asks me. No one cares about me is what he's saying. None of you care about what's going on with me in my life and me going back to the Father and what's that going to be like. All you all you concern yourself with is your own grief that you're not going to have me with you for all that you get from me being with you. And so it's, do, do you see it? You see it, Lee? I mean, it's... uh. Man, it's just something we, you know, we want to begin. And, and as Jesse and I prayed, we were just, we were just saying, just to begin to concern ourselves with Jesus for his sake. And, uh, you know, because again, of course, he's God. He's in heaven. What problems does he have? Right. Um, but here he is telling these disciples. Now I am going to him who sent me. None of you ask, where are you going? Basically, none of you cares about that. Verse six, because I've said these things, you're filled with grief. Holy Spirit, we need so much help. I need so much help in just thinking about Jesus and how I can just be concerned about you, Jesus, and, and loving you and being pleasing to you and not just doing everything, looking for your blessing on my life, but just looking to love and please you 
for your sake, Lord. And I ask you to forgive me and cleanse me and just to help me, help us one and all to, to begin to have this lifestyle, Father. Mm. Verse seven, but I tell you the truth, it is for your good that I am going away. So now he's going to comfort them, even though they, they have no concern about him and where he's going or what's, you know, what, what, what his life is going to be like, right? But he'll go back and comfort them and say, but I tell you the truth, it is for your good that I'm going away. They're grieved that he's leaving. And again, we get it, right? But he says it's for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the counselor will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Again, there's another one of those verses. We don't, you know, until you know Jesus Christ as literal God, God the Son, right? You don't know who you're dealing with. Who talks like this? Unless I go away, the counselor, he's speaking about the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. Your version may say helper or counselor, but the word is capitalized because it's speaking to the Holy Spirit, who's God. Remember, we have one God represented in three distinct individual persons, right? Three separate persons. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And as Christians, as disciples of Jesus Christ, we spend our life growing in relationship with them individually and corporately, right? You want to grow in your relationship with God the Father, grow in your relationship with Jesus, God the Son, and grow in your relationship with the Holy Spirit, God the Holy Spirit. And so to do that, you need to spend time with them. You need to pray to each of them. Uh, you need to praise and worship them, right? You just need to have conversations with them and talk with them. And that's how relationship grows. The vast majority of Christians just try to bundle, bundle it all together. God, 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 God. I've often said we would do well as, as Christians to take the word God out of our vocabulary and replace it with either my Father, Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, or Holy Spirit, right? We're given these terms, these relational terms in the Bible, obviously for a reason. And the reason is that we would we would grow in our relationship with God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. He says, unless I go away, the counselor will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Again, unless the speaker is God, unless Jesus is God, this is an insane statement. He just said, unless I go, but if I go, I will send him to you. I will send him. So Jesus just said, I personally will send God the Holy Spirit, right? Who, who would say such a thing, right? No human being has ever spoken like this. But Jesus is indeed God. And what he's saying is it's necessary for him to die on the cross, to redeem humanity, right? To open the way for us to be forgiven of our sin, to escape hell and to go to heaven. Um, and then, you know, he's going back to the Father. And when he does that, he'll send God the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit will come and live inside us. The Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, lives inside genuine believers. If you're truly trusting in Jesus Christ today, right? If you're clinging to Jesus Christ and Him alone for the forgiveness of your sins and the salvation of your soul, the Spirit of God lives in you, right? We say it all the time. Romans 10, 13 says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. It's not our words that save us. It's our words, how we communicate to Jesus, right? Have you humbled yourself before Jesus? Confessed your, your hopelessness? You're desperate, that you're desperate and, and helpless and that, that you believe that Jesus is your only hope to escape eternal hell. You can go to him now and just, just humble yourself and say, Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinful person. I know I've done wrong, Lord, over and over again. And Lord, I'm, I'm hopeless. I'm desperate. But Jesus, I believe you are the Son of God. And I believe you came into this world and lived a perfect life for me and died a perfect death for me. And I believe you are alive and risen today. And therefore, I ask you now, Lord Jesus, to come into my heart, to be the Lord of my life, to save me from my sin and to bring me to heaven when I die. Lord Jesus, I place all my faith and trust and hope and confidence in you alone to save me and to be my everlasting Lord and God. John 1.12 says that to all who received him, Jesus, he gave the right to become children of God. 
Have you received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Nothing we do can save us. Only Jesus can rescue us from eternal hell. We're going to finish up with that here in verses 8 through 11. If you're not sure you've trusted in Jesus, back up the tape, rewind it. Use the words that I used to pray and to call out to Jesus. But remember, again, it's not your words that matter as much as the genuineness and sincerity of your heart, knowing your need of Jesus and genuinely asking him, humbly asking him to be the Lord of your life and to save you from your sin, right? And we get into that here in verses 8 to 11, right? He says, but if I go, I will send him to you. Verse 8, when he comes, the Holy Spirit, he will convict the world of guilt in regard to sin and righteousness and judgment. Nine, in regard to sin, because men do not believe in me. In regard to righteousness, because I am going to the Father where you can see me no longer. And in regard to judgment, because the prince of this world now stands condemned. Um, these are, uh, you know, these are very difficult verses. They're profound verses. Um, Jesus is certainly speaking here about the conviction we need to have in order to be saved from our sin. Now, also it applies to us as Christian believers. But when he says, when he comes, he will convict the world of guilt in regard to sin and righteousness and judgment. Do you feel the conviction? Do you experience a conviction over your sin? Have you experienced the conviction knowing yourself to be a hopeless, desperate sinner and in that only in Jesus Christ can you be forgiven of your sin? Do you have that conviction over your sin? Because if you don't have that conviction, then you're, you're, you're probably not saved, right? Because the Holy Spirit, Jesus said he's sending the Holy Spirit 2,000 years ago. He sent the Holy Spirit. And he said, when he comes, he will convict the world of guilt in regard to sin and righteousness and judgment. In regard to sin, because men do not believe in me. Okay, The one sin that will send every human being to hell. There's only one sin that sends you to hell for all eternity. And that is the rejection of Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit convicts you. Are you convicted? Are you experiencing and have you experienced the conviction of the Holy Spirit in your heart over your sin, knowing that you are a sinful person, that you've done wrong, and because of that wrong, you need a Savior. And that Savior is Jesus Christ. And only by trusting in Jesus, relying on him, clinging to him, can you be saved from your sin. The Holy Spirit convicts the hearts of all humanity. All 8 billion people in the world, the Holy Spirit is convicting you. If you do not have that conviction over your sin, then, then you do not know Jesus. Because this is what the Holy Spirit does. In regard to sin, because men do not believe in me. Again, there are, there are countless sins, right? Uh, they're, they're, you can't numeral, right? Billions, trillions, they're not quadrillions. There's there's so much sin in the world, there's no word, there's no words. But there's only one sin that keeps you from going to heaven in regard to sin, because men do not believe in me. It's only the rejection of Jesus Christ. It's only not believing in Jesus as the Son of God, as the Savior of the world, knowing that you're sinful, knowing that you're guilty of sin, and convinced that only Jesus Christ is your only hope. This is what the Holy Spirit does. Now, he does this regarding our salvation first, but then just as a lifestyle, when the Holy Spirit comes, he'll convict the world in regard to sin. Even as Christian believers, we want to have a lifestyle of experiencing that conviction. There's no condemnation in Jesus. There is no shame, right? But he does convict us of our sin. And when we're convicted, we repent as believers, so even as a Christian today, if you are, if you know you're a sinner and you need a savior and you, you have your full trust and reliance in Christ, do you have a lifestyle of just experiencing the conviction of the Holy Spirit when you sin in your thoughts or your words or your deeds? He says, 
when he comes, he'll convict the world of guilt in regard to sin and righteousness. Okay. Jesus will convict you. Do you have a lifestyle as a Christian? Now, before you're a Christian, we need the righteousness of Christ. Jesus, the Holy Spirit will convict us that Jesus lived a perfect, righteous life. The life that, that he lived was perfect. In order for us to be in heaven, we need to have a perfect, righteous life. When you trust in Jesus Christ, when you give your life to Jesus Christ, when you receive him, as your Lord and Savior, as John 1.12 says, the perfect righteous life that Jesus lived when he walked the earth is actually credited to you. And all of your sin, past, present, and future, is credited to Jesus. That exchange is the heart of the Christian gospel. I mean, it's, it's unthinkable, right, May? It's unthinkable, Melanie, that, that Jesus would live a perfect righteous life on that earth and then, and then give it to me freely in exchange, take all of my sin and disobedience and just uh, in ungodliness. We just thank you, Jesus. The Holy Spirit convicts you, right, that, that Jesus is righteous and that you and I aren't. In our need of a Savior, right, we need that perfect righteous life of Jesus. But also, as a believer in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit is convicting you to live a righteous life. This doesn't save us. We're saved by receiving the righteousness of Christ, by trusting in Jesus, right? But the Holy Spirit convicts believers that they, that they not only need to be convicted of their sin, but we need to be convicted of righteousness, of, of doing what's right, of having a lifestyle, right, Lauren, of thinking about what's right so we can do what's right just because it's right. And the Spirit of God will convict us of that righteousness. In regard to sin, because men do not believe in me. In regard to righteousness, because I'm going to the Father. And in regard to judgment, because the prince of this world now stands condemned. Satan was condemned at the cross of Jesus Christ. Satan's power was taken. The power of sin was taken at the cross of Jesus Christ. And in regard to judgment, because the prince of this world now stands condemned. Satan was condemned and judged and rendered powerless at the cross of Christ to keep us separated from God. Legally, Jesus paid the debt. Jesus paid the price for the sin of the world. Satan led the world into sin when he led Adam and Eve into sin. And and, and there was a certain control given to him when he led the world into sin. First uh, John 5 says that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. But at, that, at the cross of Jesus Christ, Jesus broke that. Jesus judged sin and Satan by becoming sin. It's, it's incredible, right? But he says in verse 8, you know, when he comes, the Holy Spirit will convict the world of guilt in regard to sin and righteousness and judgment. So certainly there's been a judgment for the sin of the world and that judgment was put on Jesus. It's a judgment that we should have been judged for, we should have been punished for, and we should have gone to hell for. But Jesus died in our place. He was punished in our place and he was judged in our place and the devil was judged and the devil was condemned and Jesus in his perfect righteous life it's incredible, right? Judged the enemy. So again, all this has application to your salvation of, of coming to know that there is a, a judgment for sin. The enemy was judged for sin and you and I will be judged for sin unless we put our trust in Christ who was judged on our behalf and in our place, was punished on our behalf and in our place. Indeed, he went to hell. But unlike you and I, who would have been stuck in hell for all eternity, Jesus conquered hell when he stepped into hell. Yeah. Mm. But the Holy Spirit, you know, you ought to, as a believer in Jesus Christ, have a conviction over your sin. You ought to have a conviction and a desire to do what's right and live a righteous life. And of judgment. And, and we ought to be convicted that, that there will be a coming judgment. 
For those who never received Jesus Christ, they'll stand before the great white throne judgment in Revelation 20. They'll be judged on their works and they'll be assigned a place in hell, right? Not everyone will have the same punishment in hell, but anyone who is not, verse nine, in regard to sin because men do not believe in me, anyone who has not believed and received Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior will be judged by Jesus and ultimately be assigned a place in hell for all eternity separated from God. That's why we do these things. That's why as, 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 as Christians and as Christian leaders, we share this truth because 1 Timothy 2.4 says it's God's will that, that, that everyone be saved. 2 Peter 3.9 says it's, it's God's will no one perish, right? But now for believers in Jesus Christ, we'll also have a judgment. And the Spirit of God is convicting you that you will stand before Jesus in heaven and give an account for your life. I'll give an account for my life. And at that judgment, right, we'll be given a reward. So not everyone has the same punishment in hell. And for those who have received Jesus Christ, we will all stand before Jesus and give an account for our lives on how we used our time, our talents, and our money, our treasure, in the advancement of the kingdom of God, the Son of God, the Word of God, the gospel of God, right? How you and I used our lives for Jesus on a day-by-day, week-by-week, month-by-month, year-by-year basis, we will all individually stand before Jesus and give an account of our life. This has nothing to do with getting to heaven, but this will, this will determine our reward in heaven, our position in heaven, our authority in heaven, how we experience heaven. Um, wow. Well, Father, we do worship you today and we thank you and we praise you. We thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you for Jesus. Father, we thank you for the, the perfect, righteous life that Jesus lived for us. Lord, I know that I'm unrighteous, but Jesus, we believe that you are perfectly righteous, Lord. And we, we thank you for crediting us, imputing to us your perfect, righteous life and taking my horrible, disgusting, sinful life into yourself at the cross, Lord. There are no words. Lord, we thank you for breaking the power of the enemy at the cross, Father, I do ask you to draw all those to you who don't know you, Lord. We pray that all those that don't know you would humble themselves and give their life to Jesus Christ. Lord Jesus, we worship you today, our risen Savior, and we thank you. Holy Spirit, we ask you to go ahead of us now. Seal this message to our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.